0: grab your uh, scriptures, either the Pew Bibles or the scriptures you brought with you, and turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, we are going to read verses 1 through 13 and, and uh, look at this uh, this morning. Uh, we're going to jump right in and read this passage. We've been looking at this uh, book of Hebrews for the past, I guess this is the fourth week uh, that we've been into it, and we're going to continue our study. Uh, as you're able, let's stand together uh, for the reading of God's word. Hebrews 4, verses 1 through 13. Hear God's word to us this morning. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, that the message they heard was of no no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, On the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, They shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters, God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is God's word. It's absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. Let's pray together. Father, we need to drink deeply of your word. We need the richness of these promises, this invitation uh, to find rest, uh, to land on us. Because we work and we toil, we worry, we concern ourselves, we busy ourselves these moments, would you uh, speak into our souls. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. Last week we looked at uh, Hebrews chapter 3, uh, largely because it comes before chapter 4. And one of the stories that was in kind of permeating that uh, passage was what happened to the Israelites. Uh, They were Taken out of Egypt, out of their slavery, God delivered them through uh, miraculous ways. And he brought them into this wilderness area. And he basically said, this is not the end of the story, but I've got a great place for you. I've got a great, rich place for you to live in. It's yours. Just go and take it. And in response, they send out spies to go investigate uh, this new land that God is inviting them to take hold of. And the spies come back, all 12 of them. And there's a sense of anticipation, I can imagine, in the camp. As the Israelites gather around, they want to hear this report. You know, these guys have been there. They've seen it. They've spent days there. Let's hear it. And two guys stand up, and they say, it's going to be awesome. It's, it's everything. You thought it would be everything we told, and even more. It's going to be great. But ten guys stand up, and they say, I don't think so. I don't know if we can take it. Those guys are really tall. I know God is, you know, we had the Red Sea thing and people going through that on dry land and Pharaoh's uh, army being swallowed up. But I don't know about this. And so God basically says, "Okay, fine, you're not going. And he lets them wander around in this wilderness area until their kids come along. Those are going to be the ones that go into this new land that's before them. And the reason that's important to kind of remember that story and refresh our memories because that still kind of is in the background of this passage that we're looking at still in chapter 4 and what the author of Hebrews is bringing uh, to his people. And the reason he wants to keep that alive is he doesn't want uh, his readers, he doesn't want us as readers today, to fall into that same trap uh, that the Israelites, fresh out of being delivered from captivity, to fall in that trap. uh, world of, of disbelief and missing out on God's rest. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus, uh, perhaps famously to, to us, gives us this invitation. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What the author of Hebrews is doing, I think, what's driving him in this, especially in this passage before us, is he says, I want that invitation of Jesus to give you rest, to be real, for you to experience that and to know that. And so he's working off that promise that he's given to us. Uh, In verse 3 of this passage, he says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Uh, Do not uh, forget about that rest. Uh, Do not harden yourself to it. Remember it, know it, walk in it, live in this rest that's been given to you. Now, here's the thing with this passage. You may have picked it up as we read through it. Uh, it feels kind of complex. feels kind of wordy. And he's, he's in all these places in the Old Testament. He's bouncing all around, and it feels kind of complex. But what he's driving at, like I said a moment ago, is, is rest. And for us as readers to, to know the rest that Christ offers us. And so that's going to be our, our theme as we move through this passage Uh, Three things that we're going to talk about if you're taking notes. Uh, The first is we're going to talk about um, who gets this rest because there's so much Old Testament here. Uh, Who is this rest really for? We're going to talk a little bit about what rest is. And then lastly, we're going to look at uh, how do we enter this rest? How do we own this rest? How do we enter and live in this rest uh, ourselves? So first point, who gets uh, to rest? Uh, Simply put, uh, the rest is for the people of God. Uh, It's for all of God's people that he is inviting us to rest uh, and find refuge in him. And like I said, this passage feels kind of wordy. It feels kind of complicated. But there are at least five um, historical spots that the author uh, points out uh, to us as he's doing this kind of brief survey uh, about rest. And so I'm going to highlight those five spots as a way to drive home the fact that this rest is, is still ongoing. It's still for us. And so the first one is in verse 4. He writes, For somewhere it has been spoken about the seventh day in these words, On the seventh day the God rested from all his works. From the very beginning, God has been communicating to his people this notion of rest. God is a God who rests, and he invites us to experience that rest. If you know your book of Genesis, chapters 1 and chapter 2, It's all about God. He's creating. Day one, day two, all very good. He's creating and doing all these works, all this stuff. On the seventh day, he rests. It's done. It's not because he's worn out. It's not because he's got to go and catch a cruise somewhere. He's not tired. He rests in the sense that it's finished. It's complete. And he declares it all very good. In verse 5, it's the next point in Old Testament history. And again, in this passage above, he says, They shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience. And when he says that passage before, he's referring to the Psalm 95. Psalm 95 is about the Israelites refusing to go into the land because their hearts were hardened to them. Again, it's the Israelites on that on the edge of the Jordan, so to speak. And it's almost like they're, they're looking across this waterway and they're thinking, it can't be done. Uh, these, these people are too tall. They're too big. We, we cannot take that place. It's, it's just not going to happen. They saw the promises of God and they met that, that news, if you will, that good news, if you will, with unbelief, with a hard heart. And so God gives them the, the thing that they don't need. Instead of giving them rest... He gives them, in a sense, unrest by them wandering around in the wilderness uh, for a generation. And then look at verse 8, the third one. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. He's now in the book of Joshua. And if you've been here with us on on Wednesday nights, we've been looking at this book, uh, one chapter, uh, every Wednesday night. And it's about this generation going into this promised land. Joshua was one of the spies that came back, one of those two that said, it's going to be great. And now Joshua is leading these Israelites to take this place. And you read chapters 2 through 11, at least, and it's like, God, they are fighting, fighting every day. They're out there with their sword in hand, doing all this stuff, and enemies are being mowed down, and they don't lose any of their troops, it seems like. They don't lose any of their people, because God is giving this land uh, to them. And it still makes reference to how this invitation for rest is is still present. It's still there for us. That, yes, this generation did receive rest. Joshua and his crew, they did know a rest, a rest from their enemies, a rest in the sense that they had a place of security. But what it's doing at, and what the author is is reminding us of, is also giving us a picture of this uh, deeper rest that God wants to give us. He's using that event to, to point us forward, if you will, to this deeper Spiritual rest that God wants to give us. Verse 7, number 4, the author writes God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This is quoting from Psalm 95. He's quoting from David. David is after Joshua. He's after the Israelites taking the land of Canaan. And he's still holding out this promise this offer, this invitation of rest for God's people. Now the last passage, uh, verse 9. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God still. This is uh, the author saying there is still rest for God's people. All throughout our history, he's saying to these, uh, this congregation, God has been offering rest, giving this invitation for rest, to know him that way. And in a moment, we're going to see that why that's so important. So the offer for rest is for everybody. And he displays that by giving, giving this kind of brief Old Testament survey. Now let's talk a little bit about what this rest is. What is this rest that he keeps talking about? And in short, the short answer to that question is the rest that he's talking about is salvation rest. Eternal rest, eternal hope, uh, eternal uh, security, knowing that we belong to God, that we are his children, and that he is our father, that he is our God. Two passages. Uh, again, back to verse 3. Now we who have believed enter that rest. Again, the, the, the broader context is what the, the story that the author of Hebrews has in the back of their minds is the Israelites before the land of Canaan. And they did not believe. And that's why they received no rest. There was uncertainty about them as they lived in this wilderness as they lived in this place, if they had gone into the land of Canaan, they would have had prosperous lives. Things would have been great for them. They would know great physical security, all that's around them. Now, part of you are thinking, okay, well, how does that relate to uh, the salvation rest that's ours uh, today? Because the author is is talking to this group of people, uh, a church that's struggling. Uh, They are getting uh, some pushback because of their faith. Uh, because they're living out their faith, because they're uh, actually applying the words of Christ to their lives, it's difficult for them. They're suffering. Uh, it's a great hardship. And so certainly he's not saying to them, well, if you just believe better, you'll do better in, in your jobs and your work and your bank account. That's, that's not what he's getting at. He's saying that's not the rest I'm talking about. I'm talking about the, the rest that God provides us, gives us in his gospel. It's a spiritual rest that he holds out to us. And you can imagine how valuable that is. These people, their world is being turned upside down. They believe this new message, this new um, uh, man that has come on the scene, this Messiah, and he's promised and done all these great things for them. And life is supposed to be good because we know him, but life is not good because we do know him. And it's become hard for us. And the author of Hebrews is saying, that may be the case, but God is offering you rest Security. He's offering you a, a relationship with Him where there's, um, you can take refuge in Him. Your circumstances may be up in the air, they may be crazy, but God is not crazy. God is not moving away from you. He's still offering you this rest, this security, this hope that you can have before Him. And so, the, the application point for us is are you going to God for rest? Are you going to Him and laying before Him your burdens? the things that are complicated to you, the things you don't understand, the things that are driving you crazy. It could be conflict that you're experiencing relationally. It could be tension at work. It could be the uncertainty of of what the future is holding for you. But are you taking your scriptures? Are you finding God's promises? Are you taking an honest heart before the Lord and saying, God, this is what's going on. I need your rest. I I know your gospel is true, but I need to, to... to experience the truth of your gospel, if you will, uh, that you love me, that there is eternal hope for me, that life may be crazy, but you are there. You're steadfast, immovable. You're always providing for us, uh, your people. Another example uh, comes later on in, in verse uh, four. And again, inf- influencing or, or uh, establishing for us that this rest is a spiritual salvation rest that's ours. For somewhere it was spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day God rested from all his works. This has to be at least the second time the author of Hebrews has said. Basically somewhere in the Old Testament it says this. And what he's making reference to is, is Genesis chapter 2. And what we looked at a moment ago. This, this day when God rests from all of his work. And again it's not because he's, he's done with this project and wants to move on to another project. It's because it's complete. He's satisfied with it. He says that it's good and it's done. He's still active. He's still doing. In the Gospel of John, it says this. Jesus says, My father is always at work to this day, and I too am working. So the, the Bible, we have this God who's at rest, but he's always working. In what sense do those things come together? Well, think about the rest that God is uh, establishing. It's a rest in the sense of, I'm in control rest. It's a rest that says, I am sovereign rest. It's a rest that says, I'm going to enjoy the things that I've created. I'm going to to run with great wisdom and goodness and justice everything I've done. Think about it like this. Say you've said, okay, I'm going to build a deck in my house. I'm going to build a deck on the back of my house there. And you make these plans. And you draw up your plans and measure and measure and Plan and plan and plan and finally it's like this is what we're going to do. So you begin to work. You dig the holes for the, the posts. And then you cut some wood and attach it. And you nail and you cut. You nail and you cut and you f- finally get this deck. It's done. What do you do? Do you go inside and take a nap? Do you go on to the next project? Do you go on a, on a world vacation? No. You enjoy your deck. You put stuff on it. You relax on it. You enjoy it. You are now ruling over that deck in a sense. It's, it's yours to enjoy. You don't become inactive. You don't become idle. You don't go into a, some kind of coma where you're doing nothing ever again. But you enjoy what you've created. That's what God has done on that seventh day. He rested from his work in the sense of, it's done, I'm satisfied with it, and now I'm going to enjoy it. Now I'm going to rule over it. Now I'm going to possess it as mine as the sovereign ruler of all things. And Adam, back in the day... He knew God like this. He walked with God like this. He knew him as this this sovereign God that was resting on that day from all the things that he had created, all the things that he had done. But then there came a day in Adam's life and he said, no, I don't like this. And he chose to rebel against God. It's the the famous story of, of the fall. God, I don't want your authority in my life. I don't want your rest in my life, so to speak. I don't want your sovereignty in my life. And today when we talk about Salvation, when we talk about coming to Christ and, and being a Christian, part of what we mean with, by that is, is is through Christ we enter back into that relationship we were created to have from the very beginning, and we know him as our king. we know him as the God that God, the God that rests, the God that is in control, the God that is our, our sovereign Lord, and we walk in that with him, we know him like that. In fact, think about it like this. Think about that day that's commanded in the Ten Commandments. That one day that God commands us. He says, take this day and rest. It's like God is saying, I want you to be reminded that I am in sovereign control. And so I want you to stop your working. I want you to stop your doing. I want you to stop your activity and know that I am the God of rest. I am in control. I rule over all things and you can trust me to work in your life for you. So that's what the rest is. How do we enter this rest? How do we know this rest ourselves? Well, the short answer to that is is two things. We know this rest by fearing and coming out of hiding. By fearing and coming out of hiding. Probably not the thing you expected to hear, but let the text uh, speak to us a little bit. I think it'll be clear. Uh, Verse 1 Fearing, why that's important. Verse 1 says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful. Now, if you're using the NIV, which means if you're using maybe the Pew Bibles there, it says, let us be careful. I think a better translation is maybe what the, another translation gives us, the ESV. It's not let us be careful, but let us fear. It's a better um, uh, translation of that word. Not so much careful, but let us fear. And some of you hear that word fear, and you're like, hold on. Christianity is supposed to relieve me of my fears, and now you're telling me to fear. Where are we going with this? Well, there are places in Scripture where fear uh, can be a maybe a positive thing in our Christian lives, in our relationship with the Lord. Let me give you a couple examples. In Luke chapter 12, it says, fear the one who after death has killed has the authority to cast into hell. Or Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul in Romans chapter 11 says, you stand fast only through faith, so do not be conceited, but fear. The point is that sometimes in Scripture, sometimes in our life, it is a good thing to fear, uh, that we need to fear. There's a healthy place for fear. And and what I want to suggest to you in a a moment, by fearing in the right way, we're going to know relief from our fears. And so Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 says to us, fear. And what it's suggesting to us, fear unbelief, fear faithlessness, fear what the Israelites did as they're standing before the Jordan, looking at the promised land, fear what they did. They responded to that offer, that, that offer of rest, offer of that promised place, with unbelief. They heard the good news, in a sense, and they said, no, we don't want that. We can't imagine that happening in our lives. And the author of Hebrews is saying, if you want to know rest, then you've got to fear unbelief. And when you fear unbelief, it's going to continually take you back to rest. Think about it like this. If you had parents that actually loved you when you were a little kid, and if you're a good parent today, rule number one is you tell your kids never to run out into the street. Okay? You run out into the street, something bad is going to happen to you. And some of you probably have stories where uh, you had to grab your child and keep them from running into the street because something bad was about to happen to them. That's a good type of, of fear. You want them to fear the street. You want them to fear walking in a subdivision, so to speak, in, in a car backing out of the driveway and, and them not being seen. There's, it's a healthy place of fear. Now, when that child is in the backyard playing, are they fearful? No. They're not even thinking about the street. If that child is on the playground playing, are they, is there fear there? No. Because they're not close to the street at all. They're, they're in the place where they can enjoy themselves and do those things. But when they get close to the street, they fear. And it's that fear that keeps them safe. They don't constantly live in fear. That's not the point of the fear. But they fear and it keeps them out of trouble. In the same sense, I think this is what the author of Hebrews is is saying to us. Fear unbelief because it's going to take you into a place where you're going to find trouble. Where it's going to to bring you into a deeper uh, hardship and so maybe what the application for us is, is, as we think about this, there may be moments in your life when you're struggling with something, something's happening to you, and you need to grab somebody, somebody you trust, somebody you can be uh, open and honest with, and you can say to them, you know what, I'm struggling with this. For whatever reason, this is happening in my life. Help me think through this. Uh, talk this through with me, because if I keep going this way, it's going it's to kill me spiritually. Spiritually. Because I'm moving away. I'm I'm doubting God's promises. I I don't think he hears my prayers. I don't think he's concerned about me. I don't think he's going to provide for me in the future. I don't think he's going to be faithful. Whatever it is, find somebody and talk to them. And and help them, and let them speak into your life and help you unpack what's going in your heart that's driving you towards skepticism, to, to unbelief and faithlessness in your life. Last point. Uh, Verse 13, uh, how we need to come out of our hiding if we're going to find rest. Verse 13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is is uncovered and laid bare before his eyes of him to whom we must give an account. One of the the main things in, in the Bible, the power the Bible has often in our lives, is to give us an understanding experience of conviction. And conviction is that, that courtroom language. is where you're, you appear before a judge and there's a, a, a conviction about you where it says you are guilty. It's a sense of a guilt in our lives. And if you want to know the rest of God in your life, then you've got to know conviction. There's got to be a sense of conviction in your life. You've got to recognize sin for what it is in your life. Stop faking it, stop trying to pretend it's not there, try trying to, stop trying to, to manage it on your own, but recognize this, this sin that's in your life. And you're thinking, okay, conviction and rest. The gospel is rest, it's peace, it's comfort. Why are you bringing this up? Why is, what does conviction have to do with experiencing the richness and promise of God in my life? God is love. This conviction sounds painful and difficult. Well, say one day you are, you're walking to Walmart, and it hurts to walk. And uh, you wake up the next day, and it hurts to, to walk into the bathroom. It hurts to go to your car. It hurts to, to go to work. And it's right in your hip area, and it's driving you crazy, and it hurts all the time. Just, a, just pain. And you go to the doctor, and he does his x-rays, and he does his tests, and he investigates, and he says, you know what? You need a new hip. You need hip replacement. He says, I can fix it. I can make it where you are just a happy camper. No more pain. You're going to feel comfortable. It's going to be great, but it's going to hurt for a while. You're going to have the surgery, and you're going to have to go to a physical therapist uh, after that, and it's going to be painful to get that, that motion back, but you're going to feel better. And you say to the doctor, have at it. If I can feel better, let's do it. That's what it is spiritually for us. We, we have to know a sense of conviction. We have to know a sense of guilt We have to be able to to admit that this is who I am and what I've done to know his rest, to know his relief, to know that burden taken away. You've got to understand the burden that you're carrying around. If you know, come out of hiding, there's a sense of conviction that burden can be taken away. A couple weeks ago, I was talking to a friend of mine. We've been friends since seminary, and uh, we talk at least every other week and uh, we'll catch up about each other's ministry, we'll pray for one another, um, ask each other for wisdom with stuff that's going on. Sometimes we'll just talk about college football. And so one time, a couple weeks ago, he's talking to me, and he says, did you hear about Joe Smith? I was like, no, I haven't heard about Joe Smith. And he says, well, he's, he left his church. He called me the other day, and we had lunch together. He's living near me now. And I was like, what are you talking about? I knew where Joe Smith was. I knew about his church and a little bit about his ministry. And he says, well, he sat down with me. And he said, you know, I've been uh, doing something I shouldn't be doing for, for years uh, in his life that he shouldn't be doing. And uh, one day he's sitting down working on a sermon. And uh, he was like, that's it. I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't do it anymore. And he calls his session up, calls his elders, and he says, we got to meet. I've got to talk to you. And they all gather up and uh, he says to him, this is what I've been doing. This is what's going on. I quit. I'm done. I can't can't do this anymore. He goes home and he tells his wife, um, left his job at the church. His wife freaks out appropriately and a lot of stuff comes out in that conversation. And he's now leaving somewhere else near my friend uh, now where he can sit down and have lunch and talk about this. And I was kind of blown away. I was taken off guard by it. Because we served in the same ministry together. I knew about him from a distance. Uh, we talked every once in a while because he was a, a Carolina fan. And uh, he went to school up in the Columbia area and had that connection. I was just totally off guard. And so recently I talked to my friend again. And I said, well, how's Joe Smith doing? He says he's doing good. He's coming to, our, coming to his church uh, there. And uh, you can tell a difference in his life. His marriage is messed up. And there's still a lot of work to do there. Uh, He doesn't know where he's going in the future, big picture, but you can tell he feels better. And what he was saying is that burden is gone. He's not faking it anymore. He's not pretending. He's not uh, trying to manage himself uh, out of this. But there's been a sense of conviction, and that conviction led him to the Lord and say, this is what's going on, this is what's in my life, and now he's experiencing the rest of God in his life. And I think for some of us here, we may need to open up the Scriptures, so to speak, and look at His commandments, look at who He is and what He commands us, and we may need to have an honest conversation with the Lord and say, you know what, I- I'm not doing this. I- I'm pretending I am, or I'm kind of justifying what I'm doing, but this is not real. And when we do that, we enter into that conviction, He's going to take that burden from us, and we're going to know His rest. We're going to know the meaning of His grace. We're going to know the meaning of His cross in our lives, His work for us. We stop working and we rest in His work that He has done and given to us. Would you pray with me? Father, we uh, come to you. Uh, We are uh, often a a burdened people. Uh, There is much that that weighs upon us and uh, must, uh, anxiety, uncertainty, and and distraction that weighs upon us and we confess that we uh, don't know this rest that you promise us. Uh, we know in our heads that the gospel is, is real, is true, we know the, uh, the words of it but we pray that we would be able to experience the reality of it that you have worked for us to give us salvation and help us to rest in you in your absolute love, your absolute mercy, your absolute grace. We ask all these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.